This is an AMI podcast. Hey, the AMI phone isn't a new technology, store, so you should pick you, one up. Do you have a question or comment have you about done one Friday, of our shows? Give us a shout studio, at one 509 4545 or send us an email to feedback at ami.ca. Visit ami.ca for more accessible media. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. Oh, oh my God. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. Two things off the front of today's show. And... Normally, I come in and say, hi, welcome to the Neutral Zone. I'm your host, Brock Richardson. And all of that stands true. But two things. One is that you do not want to be a coach in Canada in the NHL right now. Two coaches out. Done. Dominic Ducharme and Dave Tippett of the uh, Edmonton Oilers and Montreal Canadiens, respectively. And secondly... We've been doing this program for uh, almost five years, five years in June, and I've switched up the format a little bit on the headlines. Usually I go second. Today, I'm going third. So, bets are being taken. Will I remember that I'm going third and not second? Let's bring in our co-host for today. Let's start with Josh Watson. Josh, how are you? I am good, Brock. It is Friday. It's been a good week. Got a chance to log in a little bit early today, hear a bit of Kelly and company, heard them talk about some kind of historic chapel that's being rerouted. So going to have to go back and listen to that and find out what they were talking about because I didn't hear the whole thing. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a good day. We got Super Bowl coming up and looking forward to a great weekend. And Cam Jenkins is joining us. Cam, how are you? Maybe not. It's been a I good week. Oh, there we go. Hello, yeah, it's been Cameron. A good, hey, it's been a good week. Um, it's uh, not sunny yet, so I've uh, broken my streak of uh, sunny uh, blue sky Fridays, which I'm a bit disappointed about, but that's okay. And yeah, just looking forward to the weekend, Super Bowl, um, getting my day six in tomorrow of uh, cardio, and yeah, that's about it. Just uh, good times. Yes, uh, I'm going to throw a little plug in there because I'm like that. You're doing uh, Walking with Cam now. Is it on Facebook only now? Um, well, I've done Facebook, but um, it can either be on Instagram or Facebook. Um, I've just chosen to do on uh, Facebook to try to get a few more people uh, on my um, quote-unquote show. So, um, yeah, it can be on either one. It uh, really depends on what's best for the guest. Yeah, and uh, Little Birdie told me that we're working on getting all of us on on the neutral zone at different times, so that will be fun. Uh, so as that happens, we'll uh, promote it as Fridays come, but definitely tune in to Walking with Cam. It's always uh, fun to listen to what chat you might get up to. So tune in for all of us at some point in the very near future. At some point right now, we need to get into the headlines. Let's do it. The Canadian, the Canadian Olympic team is off to a great start. Their current medal count is 12, 
with one gold, four silver, and seven bronze. Some of the highlights include uh, Parrot. He ended up getting a gold in the men's snowboard slope style. And I was really impressed with uh, Wideman in the women's 5,000 winning a silver, as well as winning the women's 3,000 meter. He'll be competing later on in the Olympics, uh, trying to go for the team event to get a third medal at this Olympics. The Toronto Raptors have an all-star. Guard Fred Van Vliet is heading to the NBA All-Star Game for the first time in his career. Van Vliet was announced Thursday as one of the reserves for the Eastern Conference team. The reserves are chosen by a coach's vote after the fans, a panel of experts, and media have gone ahead and picked five starters for each conference. Unfortunately, his Raptors teammate, Pascal Siakam, was not named to the roster this time. Congratulations, Fred. It is well-deserved. You have really taken on a major leadership role on this team. You've guided our young stars like Scotty Barnes and showed them how to be professionals while continuing to maintain your own uh, performance. So this is incredibly well-deserved, and I'm now looking forward to watching the NBA All-Star game. Another congratulations goes out to Team Canada, who have now defended their Scotty's title three times. They become just the fourth team in all time to defend their title three times. They will now compete in the Women's World Championship in Prince George from March 19th to 27th, 2022. And if you recall, the Prince George Worlds were the ones that were cancelled initially and moved to the bubble. So Prince George gets a chance to host this time and best of luck to Team Canada as they go for gold at the Worlds. I'm really glad to hear that Prince George gets a chance to host after losing it last time. Moving on, Ottawa Red Blacks have signed veteran American quarterback Jeremiah Masoli to a two-year contract as of Monday evening. The move came after Masoli was released last Friday by the Hamilton Tiger Cats, thus making him a free agent. Subsequent to this news, they have also signed veteran quarterback Trevor Harris to a deal as well. It's going to be interesting to see what Ottawa can make of themselves. They have not been the strongest team of late, and I really think that having two veterans like Masoli and Harris are going to help them. I don't think they're going to challenge the Argos or the Ticats, quite honestly, but it will hopefully help them come out of the basement of the league. Those are your headlines for this week. It's time to check in on our Twitter poll questions. Let's go back to last week, how do you feel about Tom Brady's retirement? 86% of you said, I love it. 14% of you said the game won't be the same. And 0% said they hate it. So um, very interesting poll there for sure. Uh, this one is quite a simple one. Who do you pick for this year's Super Bowl? Cincinnati or the LA Rams? You can cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out in a bit on the program coming up next we're going to feature uh wheelchair curling as one of the sports you will see in beijing coming up in march stay tuned for that conversation and much much more we'll be right back
And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at yeah. Neutral Zone BR. First pitch, okay. strike. Thank you. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat Hopefully with Cliff Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base right at Claire. She picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at Jay Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this organ interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, and I'm alongside Cam Jenkins and Josh Watson. We've been uh, doing different series. We've been featuring para-sports that you'd see in the summer games when it was summertime, and we're doing one uh, that's in the wintertime. And we've gotten on to the sport of wheelchair curling. Wheelchair curling is an adaptation of curling with athletes with disabilities affecting their lower limbs or gait. Wheelchair curling is governed by the World Curling Federation and is one of the Paralympic sports in the winter game. And that uh, governing body is the same governing body that is done with um, conventional curling as well. So they are linked together. Mm-hmm. Wheelchair curling began in Europe in the late 1990s and in North America in 2002. The first wheelchair curling world championship was held in Circe, Switzerland in 2002 and was won by the host nation who beat Canada 7-6 in the final. It started as a Paralympic sport at the 2006 Winter Paralympics in Turin, Italy, with Canada, skipped by Chris Daw, winning the gold medal, beating Great Britain, who was skipped by Frank Duffy, excuse me, Duffy 7-4 in the final. The 2009 World Championship was held in Vancouver, British Columbia, in the same venue used for the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games. Team Canada, skipped by six-time Briar competitor Jim Armstrong, finished the round robin in fourth place, but defeated the United States 9-2 in the page playoff, then beat Germany 10-4 in the semifinal, and Sweden 9-2 in the final to win their first ever world's gold medal. Canada then repeated as Paralympic champions in Vancouver 2010, when the all-British Columbia team of Sonia Godet, Ina Forrest, Daryl Neighbor, and Skip Jim Armstrong, after taking an early 8-1 lead, defeated South Korea 8-7 for the gold medal. Sweden, who had their third Glenn Ikonen, disqualified for failing a drug test, beat the United States 7-5 to to win the bronze. Now I'm going to go over uh, how to play uh, the game of wheelchair curling. And it is played with the same rocks and on the same ice as regular curling. Uh, though the rocks are thrown from a stationary wheelchair and there is no sweeping. Uh, rocks may be thrown by hand while leaning over the side of the wheelchair or pushed by a delivery stick. This is a pole with a bracket that fits over the rock handle, allowing the rock to be pushed while applying correct rotation. 
Stones delivered between the house and near the hog line must be placed within 18 inches of either side of the center line. And they must be released prior to reaching the international competitions are played under rules devised by the World Curling Federation. These rules mandate that teams be of mixed gender and that games be eight ends in duration. Time limits of 68 minutes for each team with one second 60 uh, second timeout will be enforced by the time clocks. As far as classification, wheelchair curling can be played by people with a wide range of disabilities. All that is needed is the coordination to exert a measured pushing force and a tolerance for cold. It is not an aerobic activity. Without the need for sweepers, wheelchair curling is well suited to two-person formats such as stick curling. Wheelchair curling has only one sport class. Athletes must have an impairment affecting their legs. However, some wheelchair curlers may also have impairment in their arms as well. For example, some athletes have muscle weakness in their legs due to spinal cord injury, and others have impaired coordination due to cerebral palsy. All athletes must use a wheelchair in competition, though not all athletes will use a wheelchair in day-to-day -day life. All wheelchair curlers must meet a minimum impairment criteria in order to compete, and athletes with some of the following impairments are eligible. Impaired muscle power, impaired passive range of movement, hypertonia, limb deficiency, ataxia. At the 2010 semi-annual meeting in April of that year, the World Curling Federation lifted a ban that was in place which had banned the use of power wheelchairs at World Curling Federation sanctioned events. And then if we look at the equipment, uh, the playing surface is 46 meters in length and uh, five meters wide. The playing, each rock is 15.24 centimeters and uh, 27.9 four centimeters in diameter. The weight of the rock is 38 to 44 pounds or 17.24 kilograms to 19.96 kilograms. So those are some pretty heavy rocks um, overall. Uh, to me, I, I kind of like guys, the thing about this sport is that there seems to be a bit less uh, guesswork, and I say a bit less because there's always some guesswork, but a bit less guesswork in the classification piece. It's that if you fit into this bracket and that one, you're eligible and uh, you have to be in a wheelchair, obviously. But that's the kind of thing I like because you see a lot of um, classifications can be subject to, you know, someone's interpretation of range of motion and things like that. You don't see that in this case, Josh. Yeah, that's very true. It's really pretty wide open in terms of who can play the sport, which is great. It makes it more inclusive. Uh, the main requirement seems to be that you have some impairment of your legs and that you use a wheelchair during competition. So I, I think that's great. It's 
a sport that I hope to be able to catch on the uh, Paralympic coverage because I've, I'm sure I've seen it, but it's one of those things that without the sweepers and without the, the, I would assume without the rocks curling wildly one way or the other, like they sometimes do in the able-bodied game, it, it would really be interesting to me to see what kind of strategy goes into place and, and is it just a lot of blank ends or, or is there opportunities to score? So I'm looking forward to seeing it when it comes on. It's actually amazing to watch because it's um, there's a lot of double takeouts and a lot of takeouts in general and hitting stones on the nose. And I mean, I would say that there are uh, probably a few more misses than in your conventional curling. And I would just say simply because of the distance uh, that you're going with no sweeper. But I, when I say a few, I literally mean a few uh, more misses. It's not you know, something real big where you notice a huge difference. You still see athletes in the 70s and 80% um, of success rate in the sport. Cam, I know you're a big uh, curling guy, as am I. Is this something you've tried? Uh, absolutely. I did try it a couple of times. Um, at a, I forget which um, club in Toronto I tried it uh, with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Robert Hughes, that uh, you both may know as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I like. I really enjoyed it uh, when I was playing it. Um, I've also had the um, pleasure of uh, doing stand-up curling as well. So uh, I think the most interesting uh, part that you know you've both talked about uh, is the sweeping. And uh, you know, to be able to do wheelchair curling, um, they're going to have to adjust uh, where they set the broom um, because they're going to have to have it a little bit wider um, to make up for the person uh, not sweeping. Um, so I think a little bit of strategy goes into that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that know me, um, you know, know that I, you know, grew up playing curling and I watched the uh, great, um, uh, specifically um, Howard, Russ Howard, and he would always say, hurry, hurry hard. And um, that was kind of my motto, whether it be for curling or sledge hockey or whatever. So not being able to say hurry hard uh, when playing wheelchair curling kind of, you know, uh, it's kind of hard not to do that. But Yeah, you uh, you got uh, called out on social media in a positive way this week. Uh, somebody posted your name in it and said, I'm watching the curling at the Olympic Games, and all I can think of is Cam Jenkins yelling, hurry, hurry hard. So you've made that synonymous uh, in your world, which I think is cool. And I'm with that same person every time I'm watching curling. I can only think of uh, you you doing that. The, the strategy piece that you bring up would be interesting um, to know. And when I've seen it, you don't really notice anything uh, significantly different. I, but I would be interested to see two of the same kind of game being played, one with sweepers and wheelchair curling, just to sort of determine, is it actually accurate that the brush is put in different places for different uh, different situations? I mean, you've seen in conventional curling uh, recently that, um, you, you know, they, they use different brushes to sweep one way versus the other. It's very cool. So... I really like it, and Canada has had a lot of uh, success um, in the sport. Um, so I would expect nothing more from them this year. And it's something that I, I, 
I really do enjoy watching because I, I like um, both sides of curling. I would be concerned. And people have said to me, oh, you should you should try it. And it's like mm, pushing almost, you know, 40 pounds of, of granite with my limitation might be a challenge. But uh, maybe the ice will help me out in sliding it. It is something that I would want to try. Uh, Josh, is it something that you would say, yeah, I'll give this a go? Yeah, I would give it a shot. I, uh, I I don't really know the game as well as the two of you do in terms of the strategy, but if someone puts down a broom and says, you know, push a rock this way, I, I think I could do that. And uh, as you're describing the potential difference between the the able-bodied and the, the wheelchair version of the game, it makes me wonder. I, I wonder what would happen if we put a Carrie Anderson or a Brendan Botcher in a wheelchair and told them, okay, let, let's see what you can do here. Yeah. yeah I think I a agree. lot of that is just like sledge hockey, um, getting a hockey player to go down and that are using a different muscles. Um, so yeah, getting some of the professional curlers to get in a wheelchair and to try it. Um, I think it would be great. And Josh, like we were texting during a couple of the uh, games during the Scotties and um, like you're learning this really quick and uh, you have like a lot of good strategies or, um, you know, you ask questions is about, you know, what about this and what about that? So you're catching on to the game quite quickly. Well, I was very lucky. Uh, I, I had a grandmother who loved curling. And so that was, that was one sport that we could always talk about when she came over to visit. Uh, unfortunately, we lost her in 2020. So I, I didn't know if I was going to have a reason to continue following the game. But thanks to the show here, I've, I've been able to continue watching. And it's nice to see some old familiar faces like Carrie and, of course, Jennifer Jones, who's in Beijing right now. And many of the others, uh, both men's side and women's side. And it's fun to see some of the, the new up-and-comers, too. Uh, yeah. you, uh, you both know that I seem to have an, an interest in the team on the, the women's side from Quebec. Uh, I just I think it's really interesting watching them play. And some of them are kind of cute, too. So fun <laughs> to watch. Yeah. And and one of them in not this year's Scotty, but the uh, previous one really did look like Elsa, and uh, it was it was fun to watch. And they were so laid back and just so much fun. I'm not sure that's gonna last uh, forever for them because at some point you're gonna have to, you know, prove results. But they are still young, so we'll see. Uh, wheelchair curling has been represented by the same team for a number of uh, Paralympics, and that is the same. Uh, this year, we, we interviewed uh, Mark Idison a while ago, who's still going mm -hmm. to be uh, the, the captain or the skip, pardon me. Uh, and it'll be fun to see what they can accomplish uh, in coming into the games this year. With that, we're going to take a break here on the Neutral Zone. We'll come back and we're going to switch gears into the mainstream sports world. However, before we do that, I have something cool to share with you uh, that's coming up on AMI-audio very, very soon. Stick around. Hey, 
you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, alongside Josh Watson and Cam Jenkins. Well, I teased something cool coming up on AMI-audio, and here it is. Tune in Saturday, February 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern for a truly unique event that recognizes contributions by companies and individuals who help promote more inclusive society. The 38th annual event gala is a valentine gala in support of canadian foundation for people with disabilities and it will be right here on the network there will be some featured presentations along with a singing performance from martin dupont and that is coming up this weekend on the network tune in tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. Well, the uh, Super Bowl is upon us, and I want to get your thoughts on what you think is going to be uh, the result of this weekend's game and who you think has the best chance. Cameron, start with you on this one. Well, you know, I think it's going to be a very close game. Um, Could be as much or you know, as a maybe a touchdown or as little as a field goal, as far as what the spread's going to be, in my opinion. Um, you've got, uh, you know, uh, QB Joe Burrows with Cincinnati, uh, who was drafted first overall in 2020. And then you have uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, who was drafted first overall uh, with LA. Um, you know, uh, looking at the Bengals, I think they've got a great D. Um, over the past three playoff games, they forced seven turnovers. Um, and they were able to shut down Patrick Mahomes in the second half, which is not easy to do. Um, and they only allowed one play of over 20 yards uh, against the Chiefs. Um, you know, as far as the Rams go, um, you know, uh, Cup and Odell Beckham Jr., uh, they've been great receivers, and they've been certainly uh, getting quite a few yards, um, you know, when Matthew Stafford kind of throws the ball to them. And Stafford, I noticed, he's completed 72% of his passes in the playoffs. So I'm going to go with the Rams. And the reason being is because I think Matthew Stafford, uh, he's going to be just that much better. And I think he's kind of used to a bit of the pressure because when you get to the Super Bowl, um, it's a lot different. So since he's been in the league since 2009, I just think that that experience of him just playing a lot more games um, is going to come through uh, compared to Joe Burrows, who just came into the league in 2020. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating game. Um, I'm not as optimistic about it being close as you are, Cameron. Um, I, optimistic Cameron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with a little optimism. I just, mm-hmm. I have a funny feeling that Mr. Burrow, Mr. Joe Cool, as they call him, is going to be honestly running for his life. Uh, 
you, when you've got Jalen Ramsey, Vaughn Miller, and Errol, excuse me, Aaron Donald, I tried to merge his name into one name apparently, on one side of the ball, and they're all coming after you, that's a little scary in my opinion. So I would certainly love to see Cincinnati continue their Cinderella story here and, and win a Super Bowl. But at the same time, I'm kind of pulling for Matt Stafford, to be honest. I mean, the poor guy played in Detroit for how many years? And we're just, they were a dumpster fire before we knew what a dumpster fire was, I would say. And I think so, they always will be. <laughs> uh, it, when you've got a coach that talks about biting off kneecaps, yeah, it's it's possible they will be. Um, <laughs> He, he's he's something I'll, I'll give him points for you know creating an image but wow <laughs> um, yeah i just i i see this going the rams way as cam said you've got cooper cup and you've got uh, odell beckham jr you've got tyler higby and the tight end group you've also got uh, acres as the running back and sony michelle there's just so many weapons in la that I think if it's close, it's because LA takes their foot off the gas. That is all fair points. I um, personally, I would agree with uh, Josh in saying that I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think this game is going to be close. Um, I'm as I'm looking at my notes, I have quote the only team to. Uh, beat themselves would be LA and that is the case there. I think if LA loses, it's on them unless Joe Burrow can really surprise me and pull yet another uh, rabbit out of his hat. I just don't see it. The depth there is unbelievable. The other caveat that I would put is it's on their home field. Does that help them? Does that add pressure? We remain to be seen. The crowd's going to tell you it's going to help them, but when you have your own, um, you know, you're in your own stadium and it's your own fans and all that jazz. It can add a little bit of pressure and it's only happened like twice in, uh, in, in the NFL that this has happened where that team represents, um, represents in their, in their own uh, field. And it just happened for the first time last year when the one and only Tom Brady showed no pressure and just said, I'm going to do this. And that's that. Uh, a couple of things here I want to mention to you guys. At the beginning of the season, the um, Cincinnati Bengals had a 100 to 1 odds to win or 1 to plus 10,000. Now, what does that mean for those of you who are going, okay, he just spouted out a bunch of numbers. I have no idea what that means. If you were to place a $20 bet at the beginning of the season and the Bengals are to win, you would take home $2,000. That is how significant underdogs they were at the beginning of the season. Now, of course, those odds have not remained the same all year because they've done um, they've done really good things. But at the beginning of the year, if you did place a bet, you would be uh, taking home about $2,000 if it was about $20. So, uh, And uh, thank you to Josh for helping me with the uh, conversion rates there because even I was like, okay, what number do I put in here? What's going on? I I just want to know how much you'd win. So uh, it'd be good odds if you did place a little bit of money on there and you would be hoping and praying that the Bengals win. But I don't see it. 
and uh, but we'll see. The game gets going at uh, 6.30-ish on uh, Sunday. One of my favorite things to do uh, the week before the Super Bowl is to play a little bit of the most weird prop bets <laughs> there is for the uh, NFL. So we're going to continue with that. This is just for fun. Uh, it's something that I've always uh, done. Let's start with, and we'll start with Josh, and then we'll reverse it on every other after that. So the first one I have for you is, how long will it take for the to sing the national anthem sung by Mickey Gaiden, who's a country music artist? If you were like me and went Mickey who? And I'm a and I'm a I'm a country music fan, and I had no idea. So uh, the the choices are over one minute and forty five seconds or under one minute and forty five seconds. What say one Josh Watson? Well. I am going to assume that either through nerves or through, um, we'll call it creativity, it's going to be over. Definitely going to be over. Um, Every singer wants to put their own uh, twang to it. I'll say twang since it's a country singer that I didn't know who Mickey (laughs) Giddon was either. (laughs) So they want to put their own twang to it and they make it about themselves. And yeah, it's definitely going to be over a minute, 45 seconds. And if you have not watched a Super Bowl, I, I kid you not, they literally place a clock at the bottom, either the bottom or the top corner, wherever they see fit to time this out because people do put some real money on it. I'm going to be different. I'm going to say it's going to be under. I, I just think, you know, from time to time, someone's got to change it up and be like, I'm, I'm going to be the person that does it under. But even my own bet, I am questioning. Um, will the coin toss be heads or tails? Cameron, you get the first crack. It's going to be tails. And not much else to say other than that, tells. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there are stats and things on this and probabilities and how often it's one or the other, but I I don't know. It feels to me as if tails is usually what it ends up being, but I'm going to go with heads. I'm feeling heads this week. I'm going to say heads and you wanted odds. Well, host has odds. 70% of the time, the coin lands heads. 30%, it lands tails. So take that for what it is worth to you. I'd like to know how many times someone flipped it to determine those odds, but hey, we'll just go with it. Um, Someone is probably very bored and has tracked every coin flip in every Super Bowl. Let's start with Josh on this one. Will the first kickoff be returned for a touchdown? I am going to go with no, because I think it's going to be kicker on adrenaline high, and he's going to put it through the uprights. Yeah, absolutely not. The uh, odds are against it uh, being a return for a uh, touchdown, so absolutely not. I'm going with absolutely not as well. I don't even know if I've been alive to see a uh, kickoff return in my 31-year 
of watching the Super Bowl, and I'm not sure I was watching it in my first year. So my uh, statistics may be a little le- less, but I've never <laughs> seen one, so I don't think I will see one here either. Um, what will be the first play of the game once the ball is returned? A running play, a passing play, a sack, or a fumble? I believe it's Cameron's turn to go first. Yeah, I think it's going to be a run uh, for the first play of the game. I think that especially to, until you get the nerves out and um, it's the best to just kind of run the ball and protect the ball. So uh, that's what I would do. I think run is probably the safest option, but I think if it's Joe Burrow getting the first crack, I think they might do something really crazy since no one expects them to do anything. And I think they might try to take it down the field with a long pass. Fair enough. I believe it is going to be a running play. I'm with Cameron on the nerve uh, situation, I think, to get the nerves out. That is what you will see, but it will not be very long before you see a little bit of a shootout happen between these two quarterbacks. And hopefully Joe Burrow can withstand the shootout, and we will see. How will the first points be scored on the game, we've got a safety, field goal, touchdown. Josh, what say you? I am going to go with a field goal. I think that either team is going to be able to make a stand at some point. And I think that by the time you get out nerves and everything, I think the, the first score is going to be a field goal. Yeah, for me, I'm going to say it's really going to depend on uh, who gets the ball first. Um, so can I say, or I can say whatever I want, actually. So Yes, you can. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to say that if uh, LA gets the ball first, that I think that it is uh, going to be a field goal. Uh, because as I mentioned earlier, the Bengals, they have a great D. And uh, once again, you know, it's no easy feat to shut down Patrick McCombs uh, in the second half like they did. Um, you know, so I think if LA gets the ball, it's going to be a, uh, touchdown and, uh, the opposite, if it's a Cincy, I think that they're going to end up getting a field goal. Well, since Cameron's making up his own rules on the program, I will tell you that I think it's going to be a field goal on either side of the football, but I love the creativity that you came up with there and telling us it depends on which team. Love it. Now. This is the most ridiculous one that I could find for the end of the game, and everyone waits for it, and I think it's ridiculous, primarily because I have trouble even determining which color of Gatorade comes out, so it's like whatever to me. <laughs> but here we go. And why, why is that? <laughs> because there is a visual impairment, and I have to say that happened so fast, I have no idea what color came out of some. So this is not one that I would be be placing a bet if I was or could. So uh, anyway, <laughs> either way, but we'll play along here. Uh, the, the colors that I give you together are uh, lumped together on the thing that I found it on. So hopefully you can follow me. Which color of Gatorade will the winning coach be dumped with? And I think we're starting with Cameron on this one. Red slash pink, blue, uh, yellow slash lime green, purple, Clear, water, none. What do you got? Oh, man, this was a tough pick. I had to do hours of research on this. Not really. 
Uh, I'm going with yellow lime green. <laughs> well, fair enough. I since I think that LA is going to be the one that's going to win the Super Bowl, I'm going to assume that somebody thought ahead and chose a flavor that was the team color. So I'm going to go with a, a blue. And here's the most scientific answer on the panel. I'm going with clear or none because that's what it's going to look like to me on the screen. So that's what I'm going to assume that it's going to be anyways. That's my pick for that one. It is in your yes, own it off is. the board on that one, Brock. Way to go. I, I probably will have to text one of you and say, so what color was it? Because oh, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, and on, boy. Oh, and boy. on that note, we're, we're going to take a break. That is how you play prop bets, I guess, as we did Friendly Fire here on the Neutral Zone. We're going to switch gears into something a bit more serious in that Brian Flores filed a lawsuit to the NFL for racism allegations. We're going to get our thoughts on this. And one Josh Watson is, at least for now, a fan of the Miami Dolphins. Be fascinating to get his thoughts. Stay tuned for that and more on The Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio. We'll be back. If uh, some of you out there are still laughing at my clear slash water reference, that was completely genuine because that is uh, truly what I will see regardless of what uh, comes out of the uh, Gatorade container at the end of the Super Bowl. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about and you're just tuning in now, go back to the last segment and uh, check it out. I wanted to uh, chat about a segment that we carried in to this week, and that is discussing the fact that Brian Flores filed a lawsuit against the NFL for alleged racism uh, during their hiring. Um, now, New York, ha- New York Giants have released a statement saying reportedly Brian Flores was in the mix, however, and it was right down to the wire, but Brian Dable was their final choice. Uh, Leslie Frazier and um, Patrick Graham were also interviewed in the uh, Rooney Rule, which is if you are part of the minority, they have to interview someone in that position because that needs to be done in the NFL. So uh, here's where things get a bit weird. Um, Bill Belichick text message mistakenly to Brian Flores instead of Brian Dable saying congratulations on the position. Brian Flores responded by saying, what do you mean? I have an interview on Thursday. And he said, oh, expletive i'm so sorry i made a mistake i must have misunderstood so josh you told me earlier in the week off the air that you were questioning your fandom of this team and before i let you in here i just want to say that 
There was also money offered to Flores by the Miami Dolphins to tank in his uh, first season on board. He did not take that. Do you have any thoughts on this? And uh, why are you questioning your fandom of the team? Do I have any thoughts on this? Brock, when have I ever not had thoughts to share? Like, come on. This is my favorite team we're talking about. And a coach who was a very good coach. The issue is that Flores was offered $100,000 per game that he would lose in the 2019 season, ostensibly so they could tank for, I believe it was Tua Tagovailoa at the time. This just goes against any sort of fandom or or sportsmanship like you just you don't purposefully try to lose it's that that's the part i'm struggling with here is okay i understand you want a high draft pick because you think your team needs it but i look at a team in a different sport like the detroit red wings how many times did they win the Stanley cup and they perpetually drafted low? If you have good scouts and you have good people on your staff, then you can build even if you have a lower draft pick. And I remember that season, Brian Flores did the best he could, but he was given nothing to work with at the time. Basically. I think he had, um, I think he had Fitzpatrick at quarterback, and that was about the bright spot. There just wasn't a lot going well for that team at that time. And so to find out that this team was intentionally trying to lose, that just doesn't sit well with me as a fan. I don't want to be a fan of a team that's not going to put its best effort forth. And so I'm still struggling with it, to be honest, because on the one hand, I've been a fan of the Miami Dolphins since Dan Marino was the quarterback, which was probably the late 80s. And so it's really difficult to picture myself cheering for another team, even though I usually do in the playoffs. Uh, This weekend, it's going to be go teams because I really don't care which side wins but yeah usually i pick a team that i'm going to follow through to the the super bowl and and cheer for if the dolphins aren't there and unfortunately traditionally they haven't been Uh, but yeah as far as the lawsuit goes it's been a long time coming like how many times do you see a quarterback's coach or a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator get interviewed, but then they don't end up getting hired. It ends up being some white guy, or it ends up being the son of a Bill Belichick or a North Turner, or, you know, any of these existing people in, uh, in the game, the Schottenheimers are another example of it. It's just such an old boys club when it comes to head coaching and and coaching in general that 
something's got to change. There are a lot of BIPOC coaches out there who deserve a chance to coach in the NFL at the head coaching level. And sadly, unless we put these rules in place and enforce them, I'm afraid it's never going to happen. You know, what I found interesting when I was kind of researching into this topic um, many years ago, uh, Johnny Cochran of, uh, I believe that's O.J. Simpson uh, fame um, and uh, Mira, they released a study and it was the black coaches in the NFL, uh, superior performance and inferior opportunities. And what the report showed uh, was black coaches they have more wins uh, than white coaches, um, that they improve teams more quickly. They led the team to the playoffs more often. And they also averaged more wins in their last season before they were fired than the, uh, you know, than the white coaches. Um, black coaches lost uh, head coaching jobs to white candidates also with inferior resumes. And after this report came out, it was one year later that the Rooney Rule was instituted. And they tried to implement that so, uh, you know, uh, BIPOC um, people uh, could at least be interviewed and have a fair shake. But it certainly hasn't ended up that way. Um, And some of the things that they've talked about is, you know, there's uh, not enough people in the pipeline in order to become head coaches. But when I was looking at it, I just think that's a bunch of hogwash. Because if you look at um, a gentleman by the name of Pep Hamilton, uh, he's been the best QB coach of the past 20 years. And he is a black man. Uh, He was able to produce the Rookie of the Year in Indy in Andrew Luck, L.A. for Justin Herbert, and Houston for David Mills. And I didn't even know who David Mills was, and he came out of nowhere. So I think what needs to happen is is that at the executive level, you need to have different uh, nationalities, um, people of color, uh, to be able to speak with the general manager in order to be able to say, hey, this is, uh, you know, who I'm thinking of, uh, because, and I don't know if in some cases, if it's on purpose, but I, I think that, you know, um, they're unknowingly being racist by not looking at uh, other candidates uh, besides white people. I think when you have to instill a rule like the Rooney Rule, as much as I agree with having it, because everyone deserves equal opportunity. And that is the way I believe when you have to institute the Rooney rule. And there is currently only one uh, black coach in the NFL and he coaches with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the head coaching position. That is when you have a problem. Do I think there's going to be much that will come out of this lawsuit? Will there be a lot of money changed over it? No, I don't think so. But I think the goal was to shine some light on this. And that is exactly what is being done here. And I hope it changes in the future. That is the end of our show this week. I would like to thank Josh Watson, Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank our technical producer, Sam Robinson, who's filling in for Matt Agnew, our regular technical producer. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen, and our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week 
because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great weekend and enjoy the Super Bowl. Be safe.